0: And scripture reading will be from the book of Ecclesiastes chapter 12 verses 8 through 14. Ecclesiastes 12 8 through 14. I'll be reading from the New King James Version. Vanity of vanity says the preacher all is vanity and moreover because the preacher was wise he still taught the people knowledge. Yes he pondered and sought out and set in order many proverbs. The preacher sought out to find the acceptable word Words, it what was written was upright, words of truth. The words of the wise are like goads, and the words of scholars are like well driven nails given by the shep- by, given by one shepherd. And further, my son, be admonished by, by those of making many books, there is no end, and much study is wearisome to the flesh. Let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. Fear God and keep His commandments, for this is man's all. For God will bring every work into judgment, including every secret thing, whether good or evil.
1: Have you ever noticed when problems... Big problems, disasters happen in this life. Most people lose focus on the big picture and they begin to narrow their view to immediate problems at hand. Now that's not always a bad thing. We need to focus upon the problems. We need to take measures to take care of the disasters that happen around us. But we ought to always do that in view of what God's overall plan is and what our overall plan is. And also we must keep in mind that God is never the cause of the problem. The problem stems from the, the fact of the matter that sin came into the world and as a result of poor choices, uh, problems happen. Problems happen, disease happens, uh, disasters happen, people lose their lives through accident, through all sorts of things through poor choices, through crime, through disease. All those things happen, and they are disasters, and we ought to pay attention to them. We ought to take steps to counteract them, but we need to do all of those things in view of what the big picture in life is, in view of what God has in store for us. But it is up to the individual, isn't it? It's up to the individual to decide how he will respond to the problems at hand. Now, James called those problems diverse temptations. In fact, he said this. Notice James 1 beginning verse 2. He said, My brethren, can it all joy when you fall into diverse temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. But let patience have her perfect work, that ye may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. God didn't cause the problem. But he said use the problem to develop your character becoming whole as a Christian. Becoming a complete Christian. Developing those aspects of of Christianity that will allow us to become more and more faithful as time goes on. Author Lloyd Corey wrote, he said, Time is significant because it is so rare. He said it is completely irretrievable. You can never repeat it or relive it. There's no such thing as literal instant replay. That appears only on film. It travels alongside us every day, yet it has eternity wrapped up in it. Although this is true, time often seems relative, doesn't it? For example, two weeks on a vacation is not at all like two weeks on a diet. Also, some people can do more in an hour than others can in a week. Ben Franklin said of time, he said, That is the stuff life is made of. And after all, it is the building blocks of life, isn't it? Time. The philosopher William James said, The great use of life is to spend it for something that will outlast it. But it was King Solomon in all his wisdom who said this. Notice Ecclesiastes 3 beginning with verse 1. He said, To everything there is a season and a time, every purpose under the heaven, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to pluck up that which is planted, a time to kill and a time to heal, a time to break down and a time to build up, A time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance. A time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones together. A time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. A time to get and a time to lose. A time to keep and a time to cast away. A time to rend and a time to sow. A time to keep silence and a time to speak. A time to love and a time to hate a time of war, and a time of peace, but exactly of what was the great king speaking. If we examine these words in light of what we just heard in chapter 12, I think we can, under, can better understand the meaning. Keep in mind, James added to the equation that life is short. He said, it's like a vapor, James 4.14. It is a cycle of events that cannot be stopped. We can't stop the cycle, but we can impact it in many ways. There's a time to live and a time to die, whether any particular person has ever lived or died. There's a time to plant and a time to pluck up, whether anyone chooses to plant or not to plant. There's a time to speak and a time to keep silent, whether any particular person wants to keep silent or whether he wants to speak. James said life was short. Solomon said while it is short, keep in mind your purpose for being here. The problem is a lot of folks waste their cycles of life and they do nothing with them. The title of the sermon this morning is, The Time is Now. The Time is Now. I want us to consider a few things that impede or interfere with God's purpose and our proper use of our life cycles as we live. I want us to start with our possessions. Most of the world is captivated by their physical holdings, the things that they possess, the things that they can can hold in their hands, and they can count and measure and see and feel and touch. Gaining and losing is part of the cycle. But James said... It was like a vapor. It's here today and it's gone tomorrow. The problem with the world's view of holding is they focus on what they can hold in their hands. And that's going to leave us at some point. If they can't see it, it isn't real. If they can't hold it, it doesn't matter. If they can't feel it, it doesn't impact their lives in any way. But Paul said this, For we walk by faith, not by sight. 2 Corinthians 5, 7. Now that's hard in today's culture not to get caught up in what other people believe constitutes success in life. Having things, money, power, wealth, influence, a nice home, successful business, you fill in the blank and that's what people think. And there's nothing wrong with those things. I wish that all folks had nice homes, nice vehicles, a good business. But those aren't the things that matter most in this life. What happens when we have an economic crisis? One may even find himself losing focus on the big picture and narrowing down to that economic crisis. That doesn't mean we shouldn't pay attention to the economic crisis. That doesn't mean we shouldn't try to trim where we need to trim or expand where we need to expand, but we need to do it in light of what the big picture is. What is God's purpose for us being here? See, that belief says if one is not making a whole lot of money, he is a failure. Now look, that is simply not true. If he's wealthy, he is a success. Now that's just simply not true no matter what failing of character that individual may have. I've seen a lot of of wealthy people who were failures in this life, and I've seen a lot of unwealthy people, in fact they were poor, who were very successful in the things that mattered. We need to pay attention to that. Almost 2,000 years ago, Jesus was born in a stable. As far as we know, He never owned a home. He never built a business. He never ascended to the social heights of His time. And He was the most successful man who ever lived and walked on this earth. Why? Why was that the case? Because He did the will of the Father, even when it was difficult. Notice what He said, Luke twelve fifteen. Take heed and beware of covetousness, for a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of the things which he possesseth. There's nothing wrong with possessing things. But is that where we lay our claim? He spoke about the rich man who ignored his duties to God, and he focused upon his earthly holdings. And then God said this, Thou fool! This night thy soul shall be required of thee. Then whose things shall those be which thou hast provided? Luke 12 verse 20. Listen, let's not miss out on the sarcasm in that statement. Who provided those things? It wasn't the rich fool. It was God who provided them. Now who are they going to go to? When you leave this world, you're not in need of anything physical. James said, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and cometh down from the Father of lights, James 1.17. Solomon said, there's a time to make money and to have things, but that wasn't the purpose God placed people in the world. He blessed us with it. He's given it to us, but that's not our purpose. Let's remember our ultimate possession ought to be Heaven. That is where we need to be not our physical holdings the wealthiest man who ever lived said the foxes have holes the birds have the have the air the birds of the air have nests but the son of man hath not where to lay his head Matthew 8:20 how was he the, the wealthiest man well he gave up the glory of heaven he came to earth to live among Uh, the wealthy, and he didn't have a possession. All those things that we take for granted. That is why he commanded Matthew 6, beginning with verse 20, he said, But lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven, where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, and where thieves do not break through nor steal. For where your treasure is, there will be your heart also. Lay up treasure in heaven. A few words later he demanded this Matthew 6:33 but seek ye first the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these other things shall be added unto thee. The things of this life are so short-lived if we invest in them we're going to come up short. And that's not what we want. Paul said Christians look not at things which are seen but at things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporal. But the things which are not seen are eternal, 2 Corinthians four eighteen, Possessions can cause time to be lost. But here's something else we need to beware of. Here's another problem that sometimes stands in between us and what God wants. Pride, that's our second point. Pride can cause a problem. I think it is natural for most people to want to be loved, and for most people to seek approval in some way. Normal people do not deliberately set out to cause the world to dislike them. That's not what normal folks do, but sometimes we fail to place praise in its proper position. We're all going to receive compliments from time to time in this life, and that's important. We ought to uh, compliment our brethren we ought to encourage our brethren we ought to do that we ought to thank people when it, when they do things for us we ought to tell them they've done a good job we ought to do that that's part of encouragement but we also need to remember this Proverbs sixteen eighteen: pride goeth before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall that came from the wise man you see flattery can cause a person to lose sight of the goal Flattery can get you all messed up, can it? Though it isn't specifically stated, but do you think all the wonderful things that Solomon heard about himself might have contributed to his decline in his relationship with God? The world was bragging on him. The Queen of Sheba came all the way from where she was to see him because of what she had heard. And then she told him, she said, I haven't heard the half of it. Do you think that might have contributed? Some of the Jewish rulers during Jesus' ministry fell victim to pride, didn't they? In his description of them, John said, John 12 beginning with verse 42, Nevertheless, among the chief rulers also many believed on him, but because of the Pharisees they did not confess him, lest they should be put out of the synagogue, for they loved the praise of men above the praise of God. That's pridefulness, isn't it? That's the wrong kind of pride. We ought to have pride in God. We ought to have pride in faithfulness. But there's a kind of pride we ought to have and there's a kind of pride we need to avoid. That kind of pride sometimes is also known as peer pressure, isn't it? And that's not... It's not just young folks who are subject to that. It's hard to stand among those who aren't following after God and to continue to do the right things, isn't it? Peter gave in to peer pressure. You recall the time when he refused to eat with the Gentiles because those from James had come down from Jerusalem. Galatians 2, beginning in verse 2 and following. Paul said, I withstood him to the face because he was to be blamed. He got, caught, he got caught, so caught up in the hypocrisy of what he was doing that Barnabas got carried away in it. He was eating with the Gentiles until some Jews came down from Jerusalem. Then he wouldn't. The desire for the approval of others can lead one to becoming arrogant. Paul ordered, Romans 12:16, Be of the same mind one toward another, Mind not high things, but condescend to men of low estate. Be not wise in your own conceits. He also said this, In these things, brethren, I have in a figure transferred to myself and to Apollos, For your sakes that you might learn in us not to think of men above that which is written, that no one of you be puffed up for one against another. 1 Corinthians 4, 6. You see, Job learned a great lesson in humility. Job was the victim of Satan. He was collateral damage in this war against Satan and God, and he suffered greatly. He may have even suffered more than than most people who ever lived but he misunderstood a few things and he laid some blame where it shouldn't have been laid he thought he understood a few things that he didn't understand so god asked him a few questions where was thou when i laid the foundations of the earth god said declare if thou if thou hast understanding he said or or who shut up the sea with doors when it break forth as if it had issued out of the womb When I made the cloud the garment thereof, in thick darkness a swaddling band for it, and break up for it my decreed place, and set bars and doors, and said, Hitherto shalt thou come but no further, and here shall thy proud waves be stayed. He asked, Hast thou entered into the springs of the sea? Or hast thou walked in search of the depth? Have the the gates of death? been opened unto thee? Or hast thou seen the doors of the shadow of death? Hast thou perceived of the breadth of the earth? Declare if thou knowest it all. Where is the way where light dwelleth? And as for darkness, where is the place thereof? Job 38, 4 through 19. God wasn't looking for an answer. He wanted Job to understand a few things. He got it wrong. And he needed to to consider a few things. If we consider the majesty and the power of God, it will be impossible to think more of oneself than what we ought to. It makes no difference. It makes no difference at all whether people approve as long as God does. That's who we ought to consider. Paul was not going to be swayed uh, from his course by flattery. Notice what he said, But with me it is a very small thing that I should be judged of you or of man's judgment. Yea, I judge not mine own self. 1 Corinthians 4, beginning with 3. For I know nothing but my, by myself, yet am I not hereby justified? But he that judgeth me is the Lord. Solomon warned against staking eternity upon possessions, having it taken away from us through pride, Because in the end, he said, both are vanity. It's empty. But here's something else that is a very real danger. Pleasure. We have to be careful with pleasure. Many have lost their souls because of the splendor this world has to offer. Solomon came very close to losing his. Moses had a very difficult decision to make at one time, didn't he? He was reared as the grandson of Pharaoh. He was brought up in, the, in the, the palace, but he was also a Jewish Israelite. He was a member of the Israelite nation, so what would he do? Well, the writer of Hebrews said, By faith Moses, when he was come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. Hebrews 11, 24 and 25. Notice how Peter described the end of time. He said, But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, into which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with a fervent heat. The earth also and the works therein shall be burned up. 2 Peter 3, verse 10. All those things we go back to the rich fool. Now whose will all those things be? Well, in the end, they'll be no ones. They won't belong to anybody because they'll be destroyed. They'll be gone. We were called Demas, he left the, the, uh, the employee of the Lord because he loved living in this present world. Paul said, For Demas hath forsaken me having loved this present world, Second Timothy four ten, 10. He loved the things in this world. He was tired of sacrificing. He was tired of pers- being persecuted. He was tired of not having the things that he wanted. John warned, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him, 1 John two fifteen. 15. Demas missed out. We must never love the splendor of this world because it is simply... Superficial. Have you ever heard someone say they could not fully dedicate themselves to the Lord because they had to work so hard to make a living? They had to work on Sundays and they couldn't congregate and things of that nature? Let's read again the words of James. James 4 beginning verse 13. Go to now, ye that say, today or tomorrow, we will go into such and such a city and continue there a year and buy and sell and get gain." See, that's the plan. We're going to make a plan. We're going to make a living, and we're going to work on certain days. And Listen, I, I've been there. I've done that. I've worked seven days a week because I had a plan. But here's the answer. Whereas you know not what shall be on morrow, for what is your life? It is even a vapor that appeareth for a little time and then vanisheth away. For that ye ought to say... If the Lord will, we shall live and do this or that. But now you rejoice in your boastings. All such rejoicing is evil. Therefore to him that knoweth to do good, doeth it not to him it is sin. We make a plan and we do not regard God in our plan. That's evil boasting because that's our plan. We did not consider God. God's not going to go for that plan. He's not going to go for a plan that removes Him from the equation. That's not what He wants. He's not going to approve that. What we ought to do is if God wills, I'm going to do this and this and this, and we know good and well He's not going to go for that over there, so we might as well forget it. We ought to consider God. Let us not forget what Solomon said on the subject. Life is a cycle. People are going to engage in all things that take place in this life. Some people are not going to work even if we work. They will tear down whether we build or not. And the cycle continues. We cannot stop the cycle, but we can impact it for the better. What did Solomon intend when he wrote what we have recorded in Ecclesiastes 3, 1 through 8? Life will continue. We are simply a small piece of the big puzzle. But because James said it was fleeting, that it is short, understand his and Solomon's statement in light of fear God and keep His commandments, for this is the whole of man. For God shall bring every work into judgment with every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be bad. Life is short and today is the day of salvation, 2 Corinthians 6, verse 2. Let's give our time to God by obeying His plan of salvation. Whether in initial obedience, through faith, repentance, confession, immersion in water, faithful living, or whether it is through the second law of pardon, the time is now as we stand and as we sing.